review some recent headlines. Uh, ESPN headline uh, regarding Penn State swimmer of recent days. The headline reads, Swimmer Leah Thomas becomes first known transgender athlete to win Division I National Championship. Another headline from the USA Today. Marsha Blackburn asks Katanji Brown-Jackson to define woman. Science says there's no simple answer. New Florida law signed by Governor DeSantis this last week. The NPR headline reads, Florida's governor signs controversial law that opponents have dubbed Don't Say Gay. Portions of the law read, Classroom instruction by school personnel or third parties on sexual orientation or gender identity may not occur in kindergarten through third grade or in a manner that is not age-appropriate or developmentally appropriate for students in accordance with state standards. Any one of those headlines? Many other headlines on the topic of human sexuality get a lot of attention. <clears throat> I'm not going to give commentary on those headlines. I don't think that's why we gather on Sunday mornings at this time, is for you to hear me give commentary on headlines. I share them with you to make the point that we have gathered here today to see what Jesus teaches about human sexuality. And the headlines simply illustrate that there's not uh, an agreement on the topic. The headlines also illustrate that uh, there is confusion on the topic of human sexuality in America today. And so what we want to do in the next 30 minutes is not hear my opinions on human sexuality. I'm not in the next 30 minutes really interested in what your opinion of human sexuality is. But what we're going to do is look at what Jesus taught about human sexuality, and then we can all decide what we want to do with the teachings of Jesus. Do we want to surrender to them, or do we want to ignore them and, and live our own lives? So we're not, in the next 30 minutes, focusing on Fox News, CNN, NPR. Your opinions, my opinions, we're focusing on Jesus' teachings on human sexuality. A disclaimer, where there will be some topic, the topic of sex is going to come up. I understand there's children in the room, perhaps, or online, perhaps, so my language is intentionally um, subdued. Another disclaimer, what Jesus taught on the topic is not popular um, today. I think it's important to lay some of the foundation. So if this is your first Sunday with us, just understand previous weeks we've tackled questions like this. What did Jesus teach about living your best life? And the foundation stone we laid there was the answer to that question is Jesus taught that our best life is lived by denying ourselves and following him on a narrow road that few will go with us on. We've answered the question, what did Jesus teach about the Bible? We saw that Jesus teaches that the Bible is truth. We asked the question, what does Jesus teach about suffering? And we looked and we saw that sometimes we suffer because Jesus loves us. And when all of our suffering, he is with us in it. Those foundation stones are important for us as we look at the topic of human sexuality because it's a, it's a category where there's much suffering. And Jesus is with us in it. There's a, it's a category where we don't know what truth is. And so we can look to the Bible and say it is truth. It's a category that requires each and every one of us, regardless of if we're attracted to the same sex or a different sex, or even if we don't know what our own sex is, it requires all of us to deny ourselves. Jesus taught us in previous weeks that that's the path to the best life, is to deny ourselves. So based on that foundation, let's read Matthew chapter 19, verses 1 to 12. We'll be reading the words of Jesus, the teachings of Jesus. You can find it in your Bibles, Bible in the pew. We're going to put it on the screen for you. If you don't want to flip, it's on your phones as well. Um, if you have the Bible app, 
Matthew chapter 19, verses 1 to 12, Jesus' teachings. Now, when Jesus had finished these sayings, he went away from Galilee and entered the region of Judea beyond the Jordan, and large crowds followed him and healed them there. And Pharisees came up to him and tested him by asking, Is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? And he answered, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? And said, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. So they said to him, Well, why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away? And he said to them, Because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, and marries another, commits adultery. The disciples said to him, If such is the case of a man with his wife, it is better not to marry. But he said to them, Not everyone can receive this saying, but only those to whom it is given. For there are eunuchs who have been so from birth, and there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by men, and there are eunuchs who have made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Let the one who is able to receive this receive it. There's a whole lot in there, right? We could talk about marriage and divorce, but we're not going to this morning. Uh, It's a very simple point, though. God hates divorce. God also hates sexual immorality. He hates adultery so much that he says, you know what? I'll let you destroy the covenant. I'll let you end the covenant of marriage based upon adultery. So he hates adultery. He hates divorce. Sometimes we think that Jesus can't relate to the moment we're living in. There's so much confusion regarding sexuality. But I think the passage is also helpful to see that, like, well, Jesus understood sexual confusion. That's why he's talking about eunuchs in the passage. They were familiar. This category in the Bible, when Jesus talks about it, is a eunuch who either by birth or through some operation, a male has been castrated. And so it's by the hands of men or their own personal hands this has happened. And so Jesus is familiar with a culture that that has sexual frustration, sexual brokenness, sexual abuse. But for the sake of time, let's just zoom in on Jesus' words in verses 4 to 6. He initially responds to these people questioning him, and he says, Have you not heard, he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? And we just want to make a simple point this morning. It's not a complex sermon. It's a simple point that Jesus taught that God made humans male and female from the beginning. He who created them from the beginning made them male and female. I don't have any special way to look at that verse. It's just one of those Bible verses that's just super clear. Um, The image of God is represented in two genders. Now, we can flip back to Genesis chapter 1, and you can see the beginning that Jesus is referencing. So in Genesis chapter 1, in verse 26, it says, God said, he's creating the world in Genesis 1, let us make man in our image after our likeness. He goes on to say, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So God creates humans in his image, male and female. That's a simple teaching of Jesus. Just because something is simple doesn't mean it's easy to follow. This is an unpopular position in our world today. We've highlighted this in previous weeks. People think they like Jesus. People think they like Jesus' teachings. They think that Jesus was this figure that walked around teaching about like love and forgiveness and peace. And that may be a fair way to summarize his teachings. 
But it's not fair to ignore his clear documented teachings here. It's not fair to turn him into something in your imagination that he wasn't in reality. And so we're forced to come to this impasse. Who am I going to believe? Am I going to believe the teachings of Jesus or am I going to believe the teachings of my culture? Who am I going to follow? The desires of my own heart or am I going to follow the teachings of Jesus? The timeless teachings of Jesus that people have been following for thousands of years. And I think we need to trust Jesus, his word, over our feelings. I think it's a question of authority. It does provoke questions, though. Questions that you and I and our children are going to have to think through. So here's a great question, I think, that, that we have to face. is Well, what about people that are born intersex? So, of 2,000 babies that are born, about 1 in 2,000 babies that are born are born intersex. What that means is, from my basic understanding, is, for example, a baby is born, has the chromosomes of a male, but has the body parts of a female. 0.05% of the population, I think in those scenarios, I would say we have to enter into them with great humility and great patience and grace and say, I'm not sure what this path looks like, but I'll walk alongside it with you and we'll try to follow the teachings of Jesus the best that we can. But I think we should all agree that that's a rare situation. It's rare. It's one in 2,000. And I don't think we should pretend that the LGBTQ plus community is fundamentally advocating for those who are born intersex. And so I think we have other questions. So what about people who identify as transgender? And I'll just, and I'll say this now, and, I, and again, I, I don't know what to say to the specific topic other than Jesus teaches that from the beginning, God created people male and female, that there's two genders. But I, I don't think the conversation ends there as we talk about people who identify as transgender. I think we also need to highlight the fact that Jesus cares about your feelings. Jesus deeply cares about your feelings. He knows you inside and out. He knows what makes you happy. He knows what makes you sad. And he loves you exactly as you are right now. God loves people who struggle with their own sexual identity. He loves people who struggle with gender nonconformity. And he cares about your feelings. He cares about their feelings. We can highlight the fact that Jesus made you. It says that God knit us together in our mother's womb. And so if he made you male, it's because he wants you to be a male. And if he made you a female, then he wants you to be a female. That doesn't mean it will be easy to live out your biological sex. It doesn't mean it will be easy, but it is how God made you. And it doesn't mean that you're born perfect. People are born broken. And all of us are born with broken desires. Every single one of us have broken desires that we're born with. Some of us are broken in different ways. And it's, I'll think good to highlight, it's okay to be different. I think that we mesh that up over generations as well as a church. It's okay to be different. Men don't, if you're, a, if you're a man, you don't have to love to hunt, and you don't have to love sports, and you don't have to love wrestling and boxing. I mean, look at the person of Jesus. Jesus, we can see from the scripture, what he cooked, he cried, he loved babies, and when he got punched in the face, you know what? He didn't punch back. It's okay to be different. But what we want to highlight is when our feelings contradict with the feeling, with, the, with following Jesus... We need to trust in Jesus more than we trust in our feelings. 
I think there's another question we need to answer as a church gathered here this morning is how should we as Christians relate to people who disagree with us? And there's freedom. Maybe you're saying, like, don't include me in the us. That's fine. How do I uh, behave towards people that disagree with me? I think we're called to love and respect. I think we should demonstrate the fruits of the Spirit. We should demonstrate love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and self-control. But we should all agree, I think, I wish we would all agree, that loving people doesn't mean agreeing with all their decisions. You want to know a summary of my day? Every day could be summarized this way. I go through every single day disagreeing with other people's decisions. In my home, at work, on the road, all day, every day, I am disagreeing with people's decisions. I'm like, well, I would have done that differently. Oh, I, I don't think that's the right way to do it. Oh, you shouldn't. Turn the blinker off, right? <laughs> all day, every day, I am disagreeing with other people's decisions. It doesn't mean I don't love them. I do. I love people, and I disagree with their decisions as I love them. I think Christians need to hear this, too. We have to stop positioning the conversation as if it's us versus them. Sometimes I hear it in my own conversations and I hear it in your conversations and we frame up this topic as us versus them and that is wrong. It is not a battle, us versus them. The them, whoever the them is in your mind is a human being created in the image of God that God loves so much that he sent his son Jesus down to earth to die for that other human. And you ought not to treat that other person as your enemy. That is someone you are called to love, called to share the good news with, called to build a relationship with so that you can communicate the most important information in the world to them. But what's more important to communicate to them? If we had to make a choice, and, and I don't know that these splitting things out is always helpful, but what's more important? That you win your point on gender or that you lead that person to a space where they can surrender at the foot of the cross and receive the forgiveness of Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. Which is more important? And sometimes I think we need to think before we speak, and I think every time we need to pray before we speak, and so we can get our hearts right so that we can demonstrate love and have speech that is seasoned with grace and truth so that people could meet Jesus. The point is simple. Jesus says, from the beginning, God made people male and female. The second point, I think, is also simple. He goes, his next verse, verse 5 says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. The simple point I want to make from these words of Jesus is Jesus taught that sex is a sacred act for a married man and a married woman. We should have already established here that that. Men and women are equal. We see that from, from the beginning. God created male and female both in his image. So they're both equal, created in the image of God. And yet they're not exactly the same, are they? Men and women complement each other. And that's too big of a topic to dive into this morning. And so I'm going to illustrate it the same way Jesus illustrated it. The best way to illustrate the difference between men and women and how men and women complement each other is to simply look at the act of sex. And just for clarity, there is no topic I would rather not talk about right now than sex. <laughs> if you know me personally, this is not where I want to talk about. But let me just talk about it, why it's sacred. Let me just talk about it, maybe think of it this way, the theological view of sex. So, man is created in the image of God, Genesis 1. Woman is created in the image of God. 
So which is creating the, which is the image of God, a man or a woman? Both, yeah. So how do I see the full picture of what the image of God is? How can I see the fullest picture of what the image of God is? Well, Jesus would say, it's when two become one. Because men and women complement each other, and the best illustration of that is the moment in which a husband and a wife are intimate with one another. They two become one. The image of God as represented in a man and the image of God as represented in a woman come together, and for that brief moment, the image of God is unified. And that's why when God created that moment, he made it spectacular. Why he made it, you feel, you feel fulfilled, you feel pleasure, you feel joy. It's, it's an inexplicable feeling. And God created that so that at that moment in time when the image of God comes together in its fullness, you would feel that way. And out of that moment, that's how another image of God is created. It's beautiful and profound. It is sacred. And if we have sacred things and special things, then we put boundaries around them, don't we? We don't just willy-nilly throw them out there. Whatever is sacred to you or special to you, maybe it's a, a plate passed down from your grandmother or maybe it's a piece of art when I try to illustrate it, I thought of this. It's in my shelf in my office. It is a, a toy that my grandfather played with when he was a boy. It's a little toy gun, and it was passed down to me when he died, and, and I intend to pass it down to my son. It, it's, a, it's, a, it's a pretty cool, I think. It's not created like any toy today is, is made. You know where? I don't keep this in the toy box at home. I keep it at my work. I keep it on a high shelf. I put boundaries around it because it's special, and it's the same concept when it comes to human sexuality. God intentionally put boundaries around it. He said it's for a married man and a married woman because it's special, so just keep it in those boundaries. Here's a question, though, that pops up. Well, that sounds right. I agree with that. But, I mean, come on. Two consenting adults who are committed to one another and not yet married, certainly God doesn't care if two such people have sex. I mean, come on. We're, we're consenting adults. We're, it's not willy-nilly. It's not a one-night stand. It's not treating sex as frivolous. It's actually a committed relationship. We're committed to one another. Uh, Follow-up question. Are you married? No. So just, just for the sake, it's not a complicated sermon. It's actually so incredibly simple. Jesus taught that sex is an act for marriage. So if you make that choice, let's just, let's just all agree you are choosing not to follow the clear and simple teachings of Jesus. And you have the freedom to do that. But let's all agree that you're not following the teachings of Jesus when you do that. And my desire for my life is the best as I can. And I can't do it perfectly, but the best that I can to follow the teachings of Jesus as much as I can. And I hope you have the same heart. That your desire is to follow the teachings of Jesus. And this one is very clear and very simple. It doesn't mean it's easy to follow. Have you ever thought what the world would be like if human beings from the very beginning actually followed Jesus' 
teachings, what would the world be like if from the beginning, Jesus, people had always surrendered to God's sexual ethic? Sean McDowell highlights it. He says, there would be no sexually transmitted diseases. It would be a world that has no brokenness from divorce. Every child would have a mother and a father and experience the love and acceptance each parent uniquely offers. There would be no rape, no sex abuse, no sex trafficking. There would be no pornography. Think of the healing and wholeness if people simply lived Jesus' life-giving words regarding human sexuality. So to review where we've come from with Jesus' teachings, human beings are created in the image of God, male and female from the beginning, and those male and female, they should marry one another and, and preserve sex for that sacred union. They're good teachings, although unpopular. They're simple teachings, and yet they're not always easy to follow. We want to highlight one more before we go. Jesus teaches about this topic in Matthew chapter 5. So I'm going to turn back a few chapters in Matthew. And it it drops us into Jesus' what we refer to as the Sermon on the Mount. And in this section of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is going to address the topic of lust. And so he says in Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 27, You have heard what it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you, that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away, for it is better for you to lose one of your members than your whole body be thrown into hell. If your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away, for it is better for you to lose one of your members than your whole body go into hell. The simple way that I want to summarize this teaching is is this. Jesus taught us to restrain our sexual desires. Jesus taught us to restrain our sexual desires, whether those are same-sex desires or whether those are opposite-sex desires. Jesus' teaching is clear. Looking with lustful intent is wrong. Lustful intent is helpful language. Different translations of the Bible translate it differently. That's my favorite way it's translated. Lustful intent. It's helpful language. The verse isn't for medical professionals. This verse isn't necessarily for appreciators of fine art. But this verse is for all of us. Every single person, if we're honest with ourselves, we all know about this look. The look of lustful intent. And Jesus' teaching is this. Restrain your sexual desires. Because that look of lustful intent is the same as adultery. You've just done it in your heart and nobody knows it. I think it's clear that Jesus isn't teaching self-mutilation. I think Jesus is using exaggeration, hyperbole as a teaching tool to say like, let's take this seriously. Take it seriously, these sexual desires that you're just letting run uninhibited. The best illustration I can think for these sexual desires is fire. So when we think about fire, is fire good or bad? Oh, is it? It has, to be, it has to be both. Fire has to be both, right? It's good and bad. Fire gives us light. It gives us beauty. gives us heat. gives us energy. We could expound upon that for a long time. All the things that fire has given us in our civilization. But fire burns. And I won't illustrate it for you. I'm not that committed to the illustration. Fire burns. Fire destroys, fire kills. 
Fire blesses us when it is kept within its boundaries. As a quick aside, some of you in the room have been thinking, why in the world is that candle lit? And why did he only light one of them? Others of you in the room are like, I didn't even know the candle was lit. (laughs) God makes us all different. I forgot to put it out after the first sermon. So this is a blessing to us when it's in this boundary, isn't it? If I take the fire out of its boundary and I just let it burn anywhere, then it will quickly stop blessing us. But it will definitely bless us if it is kept within the boundaries that have been given to it. And such it is with our sexual desires. God created sex. Jesus created all things. And he did it to bless us. And it's good. And he put boundaries around us, around it, so that it would bless us beyond our wildest imaginations. But he also knows that if our sexual desires are not kept within those boundaries, it can then run unrestrained and it can cause incredible destruction. And there is a wildfire burning all around the world. We could illustrate it in any number of ways. For the sake of time, let me just make this quick illustration of it. The pornography industry in the world... It's hard to guess at these things, but they guess that it could be as much as $97 billion a year industry globally. We'll try to say, okay, what about just in America? Well, in America, they think it's probably about a $15 billion a year industry. To put that into context, Hollywood, that we know and love, puts out movies all the time. That's an $11 billion a year industry. Hollywood is $11 billion. Pornography, $15 billion. Netflix, $11 billion we are regularly discovering the damaging effects of pornography. And when I say we, I don't mean the Christian we. I mean non-Christian people are studying this and they're saying, whoa, pornography is bad for human beings. Regardless of any sexual ethic, in this book, it's bad for human beings. It leads to addiction, isolation, increased aggression, sexual dysfunction, lack of satisfaction, low view of self and others, and the list could go on and on. Unrestrained sexual desires, lustful intent, is the opposite of love. It's the opposite. Look at what the Bible teaches about love. It says it's, you give. It's, it's self-sacrificial. It's, it gives honor and respect. It cherishes, and it is not self-serving. If you look at unrestrained sexual desires, if you look at lustful intent, it is selfish It is dehumanizing. It objectifies other people created in the image of God and turns them into an object that serves my own personal benefit. It is the exact opposite of love. And just so that you hear our heart, if you are trapped in addiction to pornography or if you are living out a sexual reality that you don't want to, please reach out to us. We have resources that we can come alongside you and help you. We can extend to you other support networks for you, and we want you. If you're ready to turn from that dysfunction, then Jesus stands arms wide open, and he is a God that loves fresh starts and new beginnings and just bathing you in forgiveness and grace. But he asks you to repent and turn to him to receive those resources. And we're available to you for to that end. Just a review, Jesus taught us to restrain our sexual desires. He said sex is for a married man and a married woman, and he taught us that human beings are male and female. If we walk back through this sermon, it was put together in an intentional way. I think Jesus even gave his words in an intentional manner. Okay, so male and female. The majority of our audience, I will assume, 
when I'm making the points that there's two genders, male and female, the majority of us in the room are probably saying like, yeah, that's easy, that's obvious. And we got a little bit puffed up with a little bit of self-righteousness and a little bit of like, yeah, that's so obvious and so easy. I don't understand people non-binary. Come on, this is so easy. So then we just transition to the next point. Well, Jesus also taught that sex is for a married man and a married woman. And that deflated a few of us in the room. And we're like, oh, well, well, I mean, I, I don't know if, you know, that's, we have to hold that exactly. And then we get to the third point, and the leg should be taken out from every single one of us. Because every single one of us has looked at another person with lustful intent. So it should humble every single one of us, and I promised you, every one of you ought to be offended because every one of us in this room has broken Jesus' teachings as as regards to human sexuality. So we ought to all enter into this space with great humility, not with arrogance. Oh, that's easy to follow Jesus' teachings on human sexuality. Oh, is it? Is it easy? Is that a loving way to approach someone who identifies as non-binary? Like, is that the approach that you want to go into it? Because I don't think it's easy for you to follow Jesus' teachings. So hopefully it gives us all humility to say it is difficult because our sexual desires are strong. It's difficult because we live in a culture that teaches that Jesus' teachings are bigoted and antiquated and hateful. It's difficult. But what I stand before you today is say, like, I'm committed to trying my best to follow the teachings of Jesus. I believe that he is the way, the truth, and the life. And oftentimes, the most difficult things in life are the most rewarding. And if you just rewind the clock 30 years, 100 years, 200 years, we should all really realize that the culture is wrong much of the time. You just got to rewind the clock and realize that if you're just following the culture, if you're just following what you think is right today without any guide, then you're going to be proven wrong. Time will tell. Let me close with hopefully a point of of hope. I want to tell you the story of a woman named Rachel Gilson. Rachel's story was, she wrote it in a Christianity Today article. Rachel fell in love with a girlfriend when she was a teenager. And their relationship was physical, and Rachel then went away to college. She went away to Yale and embraced everything that Yale had to offer. It was all too good to be true living out her best life as she had ever imagined it until she discovered that her girlfriend back home was cheating on her. At the same time, she was in a philosophy class at Yale and beginning to understand what different people think about God and his reality, and she'd never know much about the Bible at all and nothing about Jesus' teaching, so she started to read it. And she began to find it compelling. And so she knew that she had these two friends, uh, these two uh, girlfriends. One was studying to be a, a Lutheran minister. And so she went to them and said, how do I reconcile the words of Jesus um, with my sexuality? And they said, oh, it's fine. Like, what you may have been told, that's all antiquated. And you can't take those passages as, as literal truth. And so read this pamphlet. So she goes back to her room. She reads the pamphlet. She loves what she reads. But then she opens up the Bible and reads the verses that were cited. And, and she just can't come to the terms with what she's reading. She just says, it doesn't feel like it's fair to what the clear teachings of the book are. So she writes about how she one day was in her friend's room and she saw a book on the table called Mere Christianity and she writes about how she stole it from her friend and, and read it. And as reading that book, she decided to surrender to the teachings of Jesus. And as she writes it, she writes the words this way. She says, I learned an important lesson. I learned how to obey before I understand. 
She writes, in the end, it came down to trust. I knew Jesus was worthy of trust because he had made a greater sacrifice than I. Now, she continued to be attracted to women. She prayed to God and said, why don't you take this away? Why don't you change me? But God didn't. And then she writes again. She says this. She says, I learned that sex wasn't something that God discovered and then fenced it about with arbitrary restrictions, but something that he made to teach and bless us. And so when his teachings were against my instincts, denying my desires became a profound way of saying, I trust you. Her growth in Christ wasn't without its challenges. She met a group of Christians and grew in her faith, but temptations continued. In time, she did meet a man, and, and they've been married for 15 years today. She writes that she would never insist that marriage is the correct road for everybody. She doesn't believe that, homo- that heterosexuality is the end goal. Rather, faithfulness to God is the end goal, and perhaps that might look like a life of celibacy for others. But in the end, Rachel's story is a story of trusting in Jesus. That, it's, that he is good and, and trust that Jesus has sacrificed so much more than sexual desires. And if I can trust Jesus with my salvation, then I can certainly trust him with his teachings on human sexuality. If Jesus was willing to suffer so much and die a cruel death on the cross, then certainly I can suffer as I restrain my sexual desires and follow his way. So it all comes back to the cross. And that's why we close our service today looking to the cross through communion. And so I'll ask you to prepare your hearts for communion. Elizabeth is going to lead us in a song. And this is an invitation in the next three minutes to listen to the words of the song. They'll be on the screen to think of Christ on the cross. To come to a determination in your mind. Is it your desire to follow him? And if it is, then his arms are stretched open wide in forgiveness for those who feel guilty. In freedom for those who feel in bondage. His offer is one of, of deliverance. And if you're suffering, he can relate to the suffering you're going through. If you feel defeated, he certainly knows how that feels as he hung on the cross. But fundamentally, he offers hope to the hopeless and forgiveness to those who feel shameful and guilty.